0: SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. Hey, welcome into Sports Beat Kansas City, the sports podcast from the Kansas City Star. This is Rustin Dodd, the Royals beat writer at the Star, and today, uh, as we look back at the 2017 baseball season, we have a special guest on the line, uh, Bob Dutton, the former Star reporter and Royals beat writer for many years. Uh, Bob just finished his 46 year in newspapers and sports journalism, including his fourth at the Tacoma News Tribune. Uh, before that, he worked at the Kansas City Star from 1981 to 2013 and you probably know him from covering the royals full time from 2000 to 2013 uh bob thank you for joining us and i know you're going to hate me saying this but um congratulations on your recent retirement as well so thank you for thank you for doing this all right let's go <laughs> are you i believe this i believe you said this is your first podcast as well is that is that correct or do you know if you
1: yeah i think so i i may have, i don't know whether they were podcasts or what you call them um, obviously i'm not tech savvy some of the guys that like royals reviewing something I, I did some things with them now, whether they were considered podcast i don't know but i'm counting this one Russ, the first.
0: okay well we're gonna um we're gonna chat a little bit about your f- over four and a half decades in journalism and uh Plenty of topics that you don't want to talk about, and then we'll maybe I'll ask you a little bit about covering <laughs> about covering the Royals for uh, from 2000 to 2013. We obviously there's a lot of uh, listeners here that will be interested in your insight and kind of history with with the Royals, and for I would say, I guess, from 2000 or specifically 2003 to 2013, there was probably nobody in Kansas City outside of maybe Allard Baird and Dan Glass and maybe Art Stewart who knew the uh, the club better than you did so um, let's uh, we, we chat a little bit before um, and I wanted to ask you um, I mean there's so much has changed in, in newspapers and journalism in the last four decades but um, what, what what to you is the, the from when you started 1981 at the Star to when you left in 2013 can you Explain the differences in the the jobs and the the day to day operations of of writing at a newspaper.
1: Well, the the, the biggest thing back in nineteen eighty one, we still had two papers at the Star. I mean, we we had an afternoon Star and a morning Times, and your and your day was really worked around deadlines and I would say now the print deadlines is what, what you would know them, or what most people would know them as. but because but now it's a 24-hour operation it's like working for the wire services which is how I kind of started my career back and you know way way back uh, as a pretty much a full-time correspondent for the AP um th- that's the biggest difference I mean it used to be that if you got beat on a story you just had to wear it for at least 12 hours when we had two papers or 24 you know once we, we cut back to just the one now you get beat on a store, You can come back in within, you know, ten minutes and and have something up. That doesn't make the pain of getting beat any any less, but uh, or or the joy of being first. I mean, I guess it it diminishes it some. I mean, it used to be that you could, you know,
0: that you were ahead of
1: the pack for for twelve or twenty four hours, and now if you have something first, everyone else has it within a couple minutes.
0: Yeah, it is sort of. Do you think that's taken away from the? the value of news i mean i i think yes, news is still pretty valuable but in like in the twitter landscape of people reporting news that gets confirmed within a minute or two is that um do you think that is diminished the value of that stuff or do you do you still believe in it
1: well i think the value is still there is the, the process is much more compact now i mean you will go with stuff that you would have worked harder to confirm and and to firm up and to and to verify before and you'll and you'll qualify it. You know, this is this is what's being said, this is what we're hearing. I mean, all those things being true and you know, and but before you didn't uh years ago, yeah, you, and you had enough time to then get a second, third, fourth source on something and that that just doesn't happen anymore. And and sometimes and it increases the likelihood that you're gonna be wrong on something. But now this is also now if you're wrong you you can update or correct it on the fly it used to be that if you if you were wrong in print you were wrong for for 24 hours and that's and you just and that was a sickening feeling i mean all of us would make mistakes but that's just that was just an awful and it's still a bad feeling but i mean the fact that you can correct it quickly or, or update it or reposition it you know quickly it, 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 that's a plus
0: yeah okay but bob let's uh before we chat a little bit about the Royals, let's just, um, I I mentioned your time at the Star a little bit, but I think a lot of listeners probably remember that you covered the Royals from most of the 2000s, um, and then up until 2013, um, and before that you covered KU and, um, a couple other college beats uh, in the '90s, but
1: wait a second is that, the, is that the former? Is that the KU alum telling me just KU and a couple other beats? The other State. Well,
0: I, 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 I wait of, a minute, is, okay. that, is, is, that what, is that what
1: you were pulling off there?
0: I kind of, I didn't want to get it yeah. wrong, so you covered just I, you didn't. <laughs> it was just KU and it was just KU and K State, correct? KU and K State, correct. Okay, correct. I I know you. You covered Roy Williams, and what, what years did you cover yeah. K State? um
1: 91 through 90
0: the uh, 90
1: 96 uh, and then then went, went over to Kansas in, in 97 through 2000
0: so you had yeah the early years of Bill Snyder and then sort of the mm-hmm. sort of the best years the first years whole games with yeah and the best years of Roy Williams really if you no,
1: no no I had I had three second round out x well, yeah, but I mean, they, I mean yeah. they maybe
0: had the best teams that didn't perform well in tournament time. Well, well that's true. Uh, yeah,
1: I covered the team that was, you know, the hundred-year anniversary team, and that was that was a wonderful team to cover because Kansas brought all those people back that year, and that uh, you know, got to meet Wilt Chamberlain, who I I'll still argue is the greatest basketball player of all time because they changed the rules for Wilt, and I and I know people will say Jordan or whatever, and that's fine, but I'll I'll take Wilt. Um, and that team went out in the second round of Rhode Island, down in Oklahoma City. That was. Yeah, there were some really tough exits for Kansas in those years.
0: So, um, but before this, you you were the uh, baseball editor um, or the baseball supervisor Mm -hmm. at the Star in the late 80s and into the early 90s, which is sort of an interesting time to be around the Royals. I mean, they were still um, just years removed from a world championship and still maybe you could even say a model franchise at that point. Um, And this is before the obviously... uh, the death of you and Kaufman. Um, how was you? We think about the Royals in the terms of the lens of looking at the '90s and the 2000s, and then where they are now. But at at that point, they were still um, I, I can, probably considered one of the you know five to ten best franchises in baseball. I mean, correct. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I mean, they're very competitive, and they had winning seasons all I, – I don't think they had a winning season in 86. I think they slumped back then. But they had winning seasons thereafter, and they, they were right there a couple times, uh, going down to the final week or so, and they, they just never got in back into postseason. I mean, there was always another team that was better than them. But, but everything changed in 94 with strike. Yeah, and they came back that's when you really had that was the dividing line where you had haves and haves not and then the Royal. that was the beginning of a winner for the Royals I mean that's a, it was brutal for from like 90 95 until you know this current crop really started to come through you could see things changing uh, in 2012 13 you could see where they were going that, that they had a chance to be good but there was there was a stretch there of about 15 years where it was pretty hopeless and even the 2003 team which which was all smoke and mirrors I mean you're you're sitting there watching you don't know how they're winning I mean I I was there every night with it and I and they just ran out of their luck ran out in September you know then reality caught up with them but for five months they they was uh, they, they defied all odds but that was the exception. Pretty much those were pretty grim years for about 15 years.
0: The, the post-strike Royals, I guess you could probably look at them in a couple of different ways in, in terms of the, the youth movements that they had. Um, but, I mean, the, the obvious one, obviously, is it starts with Johnny Damon and then um, Michael Tucker before they traded him for Jermaine Die, and then they, mm-hmm. Mike Sweeney came behind that. And if you look at sort of that late 90s youth movement, and we were talking off-air about how, this current crop of Royals is about to be, if if not departing, at least they're going to be sort of split up and going different ways. Um, but that, let's let's talk about that Johnny Damon, Mike Sweeney, Jermaine Die, and then into Carlos Beltran era of Royals. Um, I mean, the franchise put a lot of on those guys and kind of thought of them at that time as the next wave. Um, obviously, the pitching never came, but w- when you look back at the way things transpired with that group um and obviously the money maybe perhaps was not right there to keep them together but what do you why did that group not be able to get over the hill as opposed to you know what you saw under dane Moore? would you i mean do you have thoughts about this
1: yeah i mean i think you
0: you've answered that question right there. they had no
1: pitching i mean that, that team, and we talked about this off the air, I mean, that's a, that team could hit. I, I think even now, if, if you open the Royals' record book, most of their hitting records are from that 98, 99 through 2002 era, you know, when they had you know, Sweeney, you know, Joe Randa third, uh, you know, they outfield with, you know, Damon Feltran, Dye, um, and th- those that, those guys could hit. I mean, and, and I can still remember Johnny Damon uh, saying that, uh, you know, but every game we win, we have to win three times because, I mean, they they just had no pitching, and as bad as the rotation was, and it was bad, the, the, the bullpen was horrific. I mean, that, that's, it's, the, it became much more fun to cover them, even though they were bad once they got Joaquin Soria, because then, now, now this is a beat writer talking, and mean, you'll be able to appreciate this if everyone else would. Uh, then, when they got Soria, the game was over when he got to the game. You could write you know, <laughs> trying to, trying to get the game in and you know a deadline and everything, but but before no lead was safe because that team could hit. They would come back from two or three runs down in the ninth, and a two or three run lead in the ninth was not, was not safe. I mean, you, it was it was you were rewriting right up until the end, and it was that, that was a challenge. Uh, but, that, but, to your, but to your basic point, they just they, they had no pitching. I mean, they just, well, you know, Jose Rosado had some moments. Paul Bird had one really good year. I mean, they were it was few and far between and the bullpen was was beyond horrific
0: yeah i mean that's sort of the era where i guess you could look back at all the first round pitching guys i mean basically until, I and yeah until until they drafted grinky um in i believe that was the 2001 draft that was the moneyball draft uh um, Two. Two.
1: 2002 2002 was exactly 2002 yeah um yeah even then though i mean that's uh and, and going up to modern day, I mean, the, the, the Royals are often now held up as, uh, as, as the example of, of how you put together a, a pitching staff, you know, with, with a really deep bullpen. In the they didn't set out to do it that way. I mean, they were trying to build a rotation. I mean, they just kept moving guys back to the bullpen because they 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 couldn't find starting pitching. I mean, that's a that's why Wade Davis went to them. They got Wade Davis to be in the in the, be in the rotation. Yeah, they couldn't do it. They drafted Luke Hochaver to be a number one starter. He couldn't do it. I mean, that's a, uh, it's they didn't set out to build a great bullpen. They set out to build a great rotation, and, and they, they just uh, couldn't do it. And uh but it's interesting to see I mean I and I think that's the money ball concept. Is that you put your money where you know where resources are undervalued and, and they put it into in bullpen and uh and speed and and defense and that's that's how they that's how they build a winner.
0: Yeah. Bob, I got a question. Okay, so um Carlos Beltron, let's let's actually I'm gonna ask you about Beltron and then I, I kinda have a another question about the allard Baird kind of the end of that um, regime. But Carlos obviously is in the back in the playoffs and, and will be in the American League Championship Series with the Astros. And I, I don't know if he's officially announced that this is his last season. Um, I don't know that he has, but I, I suppose it could, um, perhaps especially if they uh, go on and win the World Series. But um, is he the best uh, baseball player you've covered on like the local level? Of of all your years, I mean, I, is there? I guess maybe Robinson Cano now in Seattle, or um, you know,
1: yeah. I mean, where
0: I would say where, where I would I would say he he was a, a legit five
1: tool player when he first came up. I mean, maybe four and a half. Maybe the arm wasn't ultra superior, but but a good arm. Uh, but a, and five tool players are true five tool players are rare. I mean, the the only other one I can really think of that the Royals have had is Amos Otis. I mean, that's a I mean, as great as Brett was, I mean, he, he was—he didn't have all five tools. I mean, that's a um, – and, and he's by far and away the best player in, the, in franchise history and in Hall of Famer all that stuff. But, but, yeah, Carlos Beltran had all five tools. And I can remember when he was a rookie and, and Damon and Die and they were just starting to really becoming recognized as, as stars. Or, and, and they both said that, you know, that Carlos Beltran had far more skills and, and was, would easily be better than either one of them. And they were right.
0: Yeah. And you, you can probably speak to this better than most. I mean, nowadays, Carlos's sort of reputation is sort of the elder statesman in the league, and he's taken on a kind of very public, uh, voice speaking on behalf of, of Latin players. And, um, but he was not like that, right? I mean, he, he was, when he, when he came up, he was sh- sh- kind of quiet and shy, and it was tough to, um, you know, he, he had the reputation of, you know, perhaps not caring because he, everything came so easy to him. But that maybe was, maybe it was not right. You know, like the, the right perception. Um, what do you? What was early Carlos Beltran like?
1: Well, the, the skills were evident, uh, and he was he was almost sort of a sensitive guy, and you and you can see that, and it comes now across as being heartfelt, and that's probably what it was at the time too. But but uh, but introspective and, and and very bright and but. Yeah, the, the language problem. You know, la- the language issue was a, a bit of a problem, and and he and he was quiet. I mean, he wasn't outspoken, demonstrative, and the thing with him, yeah, he had the same reputation of being, you know, too cool and not caring that Alex Gordon had for a long time. And with and the difference was with with, with Carlos, and, and and it was it was untrue with with Alex as well, as, as people there would know now. Uh, but with Carlos, he made everything look so easy. I mean, he, and it looked like he wasn't hustling at all. I mean, and you didn't really – he was a glider. I mean, and would, you wouldn't—you didn't realize how fast he was until you saw, like, a guy on second and, and him hitting a ball into the gap. And and the way he would just be picking up ground on the guy in front of him. I mean, that's uh, – I mean, he – him – I still think Willie Wilson first, you know, a home to third on a triple is, is the most exciting thing I've ever seen. And and, and but, but Willie looked fast. Carlos was probably just about as fast, but he didn't look at it. There was just a, a glide to it. And uh, and and yeah, and, and that got misconstrued a lot. it, you know he's not he's not hustling, he's not running hard, and that just wasn't true.
0: Yeah, I just pulled up, okay. I just pulled up his baseball reference page. Um, I'm just so he's a for his career 280. 350 on base percentage, 486 slugging. That's a little bit higher than I thought. So, 435 career homers, 565 career doubles, uh, over 1,500 RBIs, 2,700 hits. It, do you feel, is he. Um, a first ballot Hall of Famer? Do you feel like he's maybe a guy that will take a couple of times to get in? Is is he a Hall of Famer? Do you, will, will, do you he's certainly a Hall of Fame candidate. And, 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 I mean, I don't I don't
1: think of guys in terms of first ballot or not. I mean, yeah. I, either you're a Hall of Famer or you're not. Here's an interesting question, though. If you're looking at that page, I think he, he had five and a half seasons with the Royals, so five full seasons, and his second season, and check me if I'm wrong, I mean, 2000, he was sort of hurt. That was the year he was hurt, after that rookie of the year season. So if you throw the, if you throw the season where he was dinged up out, and just look at his four full seasons, 100 runs, 100 RBIs, he has four of those seasons. I don't think now this uh, my my memory here is from when I was covering the Royals, so that maybe this has changed. But at the time when I left, I think the only other person with more than one hundred hundred season was Brett, and he had two. Beltran had four in five full years. Yes, yeah. it, Carlos Beltran of Royals Hall of Fame.
0: Well, I, I think his he, best years were with the Royals. Well, I think he's certainly a Royals Hall of Famer, and
1: yeah, yeah. Um, well, but but when people talk about that, they don't they don't think of him. Some people may still think of him as a Royal, but his best years were with the Royals. Johnny Damon, you look at pull his page up. Johnny Damon's best years were with the Royals. Yeah, now, th- that's not that's not where he got the rings and everything, but his best years were in Kansas City.
0: I think I think Johnny Damon and and. Beltron are probably Royals Hall of Famers now. They they put Sweeney in a few years ago. I think he was the last player. Um, but I don't know that there will be another. I think Beltron and Damon are the next guys to go in. Um, obviously, when they finish their careers, and then the Royals are about to induct about another ten guys in, a, in another ten years after that, probably with the mm-hmm. the crop they have now. But no, I mean I I feel like Beltron and, and and Damon should really be locks for the Royals Hall of Fame. The one player, I think so. Here, here's a here's a question for you, Bob. But more of a, uh, a um, inside baseball question. If you're counting those guys as Royals Hall of Famers, if you look at his numbers, this guy's numbers, they are also stack up with some of the best in franchise history. Is David DeJesus, in your mind, a, a candidate for a Royals Hall of Famer um, with the numbers that he put up? I to me to I, me to me the answer is no. He but, falls just short. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. To me, it falls just short because there was a time when when you could argue that Carlos Beltran was easily the best player on the team. Um, and maybe David was for a couple of those teams, but those teams are so bad they had nothing else. I mean, that's – a Beltran it was the best player when they had guys who get hit. I mean, and David, David had some 200-hit seasons. I mean, and thats I don't think David had those. I mean, that's – I thought that David DeHazer was a good player.
0: He was. He, he gets a lot of um, – I know you're going to uh... – Probably sigh when I s- cite this statistic, but he was one of those players who was so good at pretty much. I mean, not so good. He was basically a little above average at about just everything on the field, whether it was running and hitting and throwing. And so when you when you pieced his statistics together, he's a guy that grades out pretty well in wins above replacement. He's sort of one of those guys. Um, mm-hmm. He looks like and that matters. Yeah, and I think it, in 2005 he had four. wins above replacement in 2006 he had three and then his final three seasons 789 i guess he was there in 10 they were all about two and a half wins so he was sort of a like a very useful player but to me that i think he's a little bit short of a one of the best players in franchise history yeah but it's sort of like the the equivalent of a the, the, the hall of very good players you know if there was a a hall of very good Royals players. I feel like David DeJesus would be sort of the captain of that team. Um, Bob, okay. So I agree. I, I, I wanted to, I was going to maybe ask this early, but I wanted to ask you about Carlos. So Carlos, uh, you know, Beltron, Damon die is in this category as well. Um, It's very easy now to look back at um, those guys leaving and the trades that were made um, as sort of, uh, dooming the Royals to another decade or so of uh, losing baseball, um, and I'm wondering at the time if 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 we you can put ourselves in maybe Allard Baird's the general manager's in his shoes at the time when you were covering the 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 Damon trade, uh, the Die trade, and then eventually the Beltron trade, um, which. I guess the Beltron trade maybe was the best of the three, um, but when when you were covering those trades, was it did it seem at the time as if those were were moves that were going to um, eventually not bear much fruit and, and backfire, and the and, and the Royals regime under Albert was going to end as it did in, in two thousand six? Did it did it seem that way at the time, or did, was it is are is that a little bit? Monday morning quarterback. As we look back now, well, there was a feeling that that the Royals can't hold their players once they get to free, you know, once they breach free
1: agent eligibility, that, that they just wouldn't be able to hold them on the on the open market, and and, and that was that was very much the case, uh, that feeling. And and Damon, I can remember Royals people saying at the time that the trade was. Uh, I think he had a year left when, when they traded him, and I, I forget everyone they got back, but Angel Barola was in that trade, I, and, and the, the, the Royals needed a shortstop, and, and I can remember them saying, if Angel Barola becomes a player, then this will be a good trade. If, if he's a complete bust, then then this trade won't be any good, but, is it, but, but they felt they had, they either trade Damon there, or they lose him after one more year, so... I'm mean, Okay, Angel Barreau was rookie of the year. He had a good year. You know, he had a good couple of years and then he just sort of fell off the table. You, you, you make the decision, you know, not. could they have done better than that at the time with, with Damon? I don't know, but, uh, and, and Johnny, while I had good years, as I said earlier, his best years with the Royals I and mean, he, 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 he didn't, he didn't play to that level consistently. You know, even though he played on a lot of really good teams, played in postseason a lot, has a couple of rings. I mean, uh, He's had a really good career, but his best years was with the Royals. Dye, uh, he, there were some contract talks and, and they were going nowhere and if you, again, if you're looking at baseball reference, pull up the year that he was traded, his time with the Royals there, it, it, he was awful. I mean, it, 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 he was, he was nosediving. You know, the, the, the contract discussions, everything, it was bothering him and, and, and he let it get to him and, and he, and he was, he, he was just not a very good player that year. So they, they made the best trade they could, and that trade was a disaster. I mean, that was a trade where they got Nuffy Perez. I mean, it was a three-way deal, but but again, they thought they were getting a shortstop who, if, if at worst, could shift to second base, you know, to play alongside of Barrow if he you know, if and when he came up and made it. But that, that, that if we're going to rate the worst trades in Royals history. That might be it. I, mean, that's, uh, I know that the David Cone for Ed Hearn trade gets brought up a lot in it, but. I I don't know that Nephi Perez for Jermaine Guy I haven't stuff at talk.
0: Yeah, for I guess for, yep. for for point of fact, so the the Damon trade was in the before the uh 2000 before the 2001 season in January um mm-hmm. and that was they acquired Angel Baroa, AJ Hench, and uh Roberto Hernandez. But they also I guess what is probably remembered as well is they also gave up Mark Ellis. <laughs> Which uh, yeah, so that was who became a good player. Yeah, he did. So, um, that that trade, I, I suppose you can see the, you can see the logic behind it. It's one of those deals where you can, I guess you can. It's a deal you
1: don't want to make, but if you're in the Royal situation where you think you're going to lose him after one more year, are you going to you're going to get anything better in a draft pick? I mean, yeah. what they got there, I, it is that was a trade, and and. To a certain extent, the Jermaine Dye trade was made out of circumstances. If we're going to lose a guy, let's, what's the best deal we can make? Now, the Beltran trade, um, there are a couple of things here. Uh, Beltran wanted to stay. The, the Royals had an, a deal negotiated with him. They went, they went around for us, and, and, and Beltran talked to them. They had a deal in place for three years for $25 million, and I forget what year it was, but I think it would have bought out his list. Year or two of arbitration eligibility in the first year of free agency is what, what I'm remembering from memory. Now, I may be a year off there. Maybe it was one year of arbitration, two years of free agency, but I think it was this is two years of the final two years of arbitration, first year of free agency. Way under the market deal, and uh, three years, $25 million. And they took it to, uh, to the to uh, upstairs, and Dan Glass said, Well, get him to sign for $24 million. Well, and <laughs> the argument was, Hey, he, this is still way under. The market, hey, if he wants to stay, he'll stay for 24 million. Well, they took it okay. Well, what are you gonna do? He, he, Dan's boss, they took it back to Belfry, and not surprisingly, he was ticked off and they broke off negotiations. And, and uh, I think this was before the 2003 season, and uh, so then the Royals tried to you know to trade him because they knew the same situation they're gonna lose the guy after you know, another year. And they had hit a trade virtually in place in, in spring training 2003 with the Rangers, they were gonna get Michael Young. Um, Hank Blaylock and I, there's somebody else, and I think a uh, center fielder or an outfielder—I forget who it was—and the Royals were also going to give up some minor leaguer or whatever. But and, and that's what they were discussing. though. I mean, the the, the, the final couple pieces. But the, the basic deal was Blaylock and Michael Young for Beltran, and then a couple pieces to match up, sort of like the Shields for Will Myers trade. Yeah, where that was the basic framework, and then they had to figure out some other pieces. That's where they were. And that's when um, in March Beltran pulled the oblique, and he was going to be out six weeks because an oblique injury is always six weeks, six to eight weeks, so no matter what they say. And, uh, and so both sides backed off. 2003 is when the Royals got off to that great start. Beltran came back to playing well, so that cooled all the trade talk. But that trade, was, that trade was going to happen. I mean, they were they were they were negotiating the last final pieces of that. And then of course 2004 the team imploded, and they just traded him. For, the, you know the three-way deal that sent him to Houston and um, and that didn't work out so well either but they they could have had him for three more years he wanted to stay
0: so that would have uh, it would have been two extra years after his final arbitration year or it would have been just one extra year after I, well I, I, I think I think
1: night, again I'm doing this part from memory. I think the three years covered his final two arbitration years and his first year with bought out. The first year of free agency. It's how I'm remembering it. I mean, if I was, I don't know what the standards are on a podcast. If I was writing this, <laughs> I would go back and do a little bit more. I would go back and do a little more research to make sure that that my memory is correct. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but but that's but I know it was three years. Three years for 25 is what they what the two sides agreed to. They took it to ownership and Dan said, well. Go back to him that we wanted three for twenty four, and that's when Carlos said, "Screw it, I'm not doing it."
0: Okay, um, let's let's talk about Zach Greinke as long as we're in this sort of era of Royals because Greinke debuts, um, I believe, in two thousand four. So right in Carlos Beltran's um, final half season with the Royals. Um, and then yeah I
1: think, I, think, is that I right? think he had already
0: the trade had I think the trade had already gone down. you, yeah. you, you had to check because Zach debuted in Oakland
1: and I forget there, there was something jacked up there too but they were they had to add him to the roster and uh, I forget who they had to send down but whoever was the uh, traveling the official who was traveling with the club didn't get to the clubhouse in time in Oakland and, and so Zach was basically waiting outside because he couldn't be added. I mean he was basically waiting outside for them to tell. He wasn't in the clubhouse. He was waiting for them, to, the, the Royals to tell whoever was going down that he was going down. And then come in and tell Zach that, okay, yes, you've been at it, and, and you're starting today. And my, my memory there is that he went out and pitched five innings against the A's and turned over a lead, and the Royals gave the game away late. I think Afel gave up a homer in the ninth inning and to Eric Chavez, I think. And then the A's won it next inning, so, which pretty much summed up the Royals of that era.
0: Yeah, the so Zach Zach debuted May twenty second of two thousand four, and the the Beltron trade was June twenty fourth of tw- two thousand four. So okay. Did, well, they they did, little, okay. A little a bit month. of overlap. Then. Okay. They overlapped okay. for a month. Um, but I'm gonna hear. I've got the I've got this open, so I can tell you what happened in his debut. Let's test your memory. Uh, Zach in his debut, f- uh, two earned runs in five innings, gave up one home run, um, and then. Uh Jeremy Offeld did have a blown save in that game. Um and then give up a give
1: up a homer in the ninth or give up a the double in the ninth.
0: Uh let's see here. He gave up the A's. Let me find Chavez it. is in there
1: somewhere doing something.
0: Yeah, Eric Chavez hit a home run in the ninth inning off Jeremy Offeld. Although I think it was a yeah. I think it was just a game tying home run because then the Right, and they won it
1: next three innings, right? Or did
0: they Yeah, the the A's won the eleventh. Walk it off in the yeah, against uh, Scott Sullivan. Scott, oh yes. Yeah. So, good. That's pretty good. That was only 13 years yeah, ago. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of games ago though.
0: <laughs> Indeed. But what would Zach um, is an, is another guy that I guess when it's all said and done, said and done, he might have a borderline Hall of Fame case. Um, I think he's got He's going to have to be durable for the next three to four years and compile some statistics to, to probably really be there. But he's probably got a similar to like a Mike Mussina type career with maybe without the wins at this point. But, um, early Zach Grinky is, uh, had to have been fascinating to, uh, cover those first couple years, um, into his kind of, uh, mid two thousands, um, kind of episodes. I don't know the, the right way to put it, but, um, those, those first couple of years when he was up there at, at age 20 and 21, um, what was he one of the more fascinating guys to cover at that point?
1: Uh, he's easily the most fascinating person I've ever covered in 46 years. I mean,
0: by, I don't know who
1: second is, but Zach is by far and away the, the most fascinating guy. I can remember when he came to, uh, in spring training in, in 2003, and I don't know if he was invited or whether he was just, you know, brought up for a, you know, for a workout and a game or something. And, uh, and I'm leaning. And this is when you—they don't allow this now. But you could lean against the cage there in spring training, while you know while the guys are warming up and everything. And then uh, it was inter-squad type stuff, so you could be there. I mean, it wasn't during an actual spring game. And um, <laughs> Brent makes looks sober. Zach, who looks young now, but a, a, a 19-year-old Zach Grenkey or whatever the heck he was then, looked like he was about 12. <laughs> And he walked out to the mound and Brent Maine looks over him and he goes, who is this? Looks like a border boy." Said, That's your number one pick. <laughs> and Brent kind of nodded and you know put down the sides and Zach hit the glove wherever it was. But uh, what also happened then is uh, 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 a couple moments before that, Allard walked out there and he was making his voice loud enough for Zach to hear. He goes, I hear there's some big phenom is throwing today. I'm coming out and take a look. And Zach just looked at him and said, yep and you're going to be impressed. <laughs> he was, Yeah, Zach, my favorite Zach Springs trading story, and, and there's so many of them, because I was there the day he snapped too and was trying to throw the ball through the backstop and they sent him home and all, all that unfolded. But uh, he was arguing, and I forget what year this was, it may have been 06, 05, it was, anyway, with Guy Hanson. He was here, Guy Hanson was pitching coach. And Guy Hansen was trying to tell him that velocity didn't matter. That And that command. If you could command the fastball, you know, you, it didn't matter how hard you're feeling. Zach was saying, well, command's important. I'm, I'm going to command it, but velocity's important. They, and this argument went on all spring. So, we get, you know, at some point in, in mid to late March, and they're playing the Brewers. And I'm pretty sure it was Ned Yost's Brewers, by the way, who came over to uh, surprise. And it was a team with Fielder and Braun and Corey Hart, when Corey Hart could play. All, all, that, that Ricky Weeks, when Ricky Weeks to play. And um, that's that walked past me and told me, I'm not worrying about velocity today. So he went out and he spotted, but he spotted batting practice fastball, and the Brewers scored like six runs in the first inning. Comes out. Comes back out. He scored like three more in the second before they pulled him, and, he, you know, he's walking down. He's in the club out afterwards. And, and you know how during spring training you go down while the game's in yeah. progress. And I talked to, to the starting pitcher. And this is you – know, there's nobody else covering the team so I walked in there he's sitting waiting for me in front of his locker he just looks up I guess velocity matters <laughs> <laughs> I, I, he, he's, he's fascinating yeah. he's, uh, as far as the whole thing you know what I think he needs some success in postseason uh, with getting, he hasn't had very much success in postseason no. he's been very good at times during the, the, the regular season won the, the one side young I, I think he got aced out for a Cy Young a couple years ago, the year Arietta won it. got all the attention and everything, but I think if you look at the numbers start to finish, Zach had a better year that
0: year. But yeah, I well, I think he might have split some votes with uh, with Kershaw. If, if I That could be, and, and that could be but and, and look, Arietta had a great year, so
1: it's not like he, he got robbed or anything. But it, I think, and maybe I'm biased because I, I know Zach, but I just thought Zach had a better year start to finish him. But the point being, he had another Cy Young type year, and so – there have been times when he's been one of, if not the best pitcher in the league. And it's, uh, so, but I think he needs a little bit more on the resume, too.
0: Yeah. To you... be the, uh, to be
1: a Hall of Famer. Okay. Is he a Royals Hall of Famer? The numbers with the Royals, he's under 500 with the Royals, I'm pretty
0: sure. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he did win a Cy Young, um, mm-hmm. uh, aside from Saberhagen and, and Grinky um, are those the only two Cy Youngs in Royals history? I should know that off the top of my head. I believe so, but yeah,
1: so uh, I think so too. I'm pretty sure that's right. Saber Saberhagen won two.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. So uh, I think he has a case, um, but if yeah. you look at his Royals statistics, parts of seven seasons. They're not although, great. Uh, let's see how many innings did he throw for them? Over 1,100 innings. Uh, Three point eight two ERA. With um, 931 strikeouts. Some of that's in relief, obviously. I I think he's got a case. Not much. Yeah, That
1: five and seventeen year, sort of. I think it was five and seventeen, where it sort of wrecks a lot of his stats.
0: Yeah, I I think he I think he has a case, but it's um. Yeah, well, the way he left the club didn't didn't leave him in good stead <laughs> He did. Either, though. He did. I mean, although I <laughs> yeah, think yeah, that was good. I I think, you know, um, he got a he. Pitch. He started on the Friday, uh, last weekend of the series season. Um, the Diamondbacks were in town, and mm-hmm. when he came out of the game, he, he came out pretty early because he was on a pitch count because they were setting him up for the for the wild card game. And he so he came out in about the third or fourth inning after he threw about seventy pitches. Didn't didn't pitch particularly well, um, but he got a pretty pretty good standing ovation from from people. Yeah. And I and I thought, you know, I, I sort of was curious. I was like, you know, I, I don't know if this is, you know, recognizing exactly what he did in Kansas City or if it was maybe sort of like a um, a next level kind of cheer for the for the fact that, you know, the Royals were that weekend saying goodbye to you know Lorenzo Cain and perhaps Alcides Escobar, mm-hmm. and you know of if, if, of all the deals that they've made. You know the Wade Davis deal was, and the James Shields deal was was obviously huge, and then drafting, you know Hosmer and Moustakis and signing Salvador Perez for for you know nothing out of Venezuela. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are all crucial moves. But you can make an argument that the Zach Greinke trade was the most important deal that you know in the franchise's. Last 25 years, you know, the, the, yeah, the revival. Yeah, yeah.
1: agree. I mean, here's the thing, but
0: and, and you can trace, and I can because I watched it when they put Escobar short stuff
1: that solidified the whole infield defense, and all of a sudden the outfield defense got better. That's what now Salvi came up. I want to say either was it later that year? Was that the same year? Was I that, think,
0: I think, I think um, so. Salvi,
1: Salvi came yeah. up in like August, yeah, but and then of course that got really a lot better too. And then, uh, but but the first step. Escobar going into short. All of a sudden, they they, you know, they had a, a good infield defense. I mean, he solidified, and they took off from there. I mean, that's that was one of the turning points because now they could catch the ball because they used to do so many dumb things defensively. I mean, that, that's one way I, that I knew that team was getting better. They stopped doing things where you just look at it and, and you where you shake your head. You know, it's like, well, what what what, what are you doing? And th- th- those moments became less and less. So Every team has some of those moments every year. I mean, if you play at that level and that hard, some strange things will happen on occasion, but the, the Royals would do stupid things or at least poor fund, poor things that were poorly, poor, represented poor fundamentals. They would do those over and over and over again and that's, and that just stopped happening and, and I can trace that really. That started turning around when Escobar went to shortstop. Yeah.
0: Um. Bob, do you feel like did you did you, I mean obviously uh, you and I I'm I'm slightly joking here um, and I know you don't really care but you obviously you left in, in 2013 the Royals went to the World Series for the next two seasons um, when you left though did you have an inkling that hey this this thing I mean they they they've had the winning season oh, yeah. they had the winning season in 2013 that I believe that was the season that Dayton Moore made the comment you know it feels like we won the World Series. Um, Yes. (laughs) Because the Uh, fans are so appreciative. I
1: knew what he was saying, and I gave him a chance to rephrase it. And he goes, no, I felt like we were in the World Series. And he's like, okay, I'll use that quote. I know you're going to get roasted. And he did get roasted. And he should have been roasted. Um, But, yes, you could see that team coming along. And that's uh, – at that point, would I have predicted two straight World Series appearances in a World Series title? No. But the team that I left, I I, I knew that was going to be a very competitive team for the next couple of years. I mean, that's – yeah,
0: all the pieces were in place. Yeah, uh, let's Bob. Let's wrap up uh, on this. And I, when people ask me this question, I I tend to hate to answer it, and because I never, you know, you, <laughs> you never know exactly. There's never a great answer, and and sometimes the answer is not exactly what they're looking for. But I'm wondering, um, in your time covering the Royals, whether the, I guess you could go non Royals as well. Um, who are maybe who are the two or three? um best players you've covered whether that's guys that were incredibly helpful in, in terms of of being insightful with answers and and or just guys that were incredibly fascinating to to write about and to watch and um you know who were the most enjoyable guys that you uh enjoyed covering
1: well no, no that, that encompasses a whole lot of things i mean if you're talking the best players i've ever covered i mean now, I had him at the end of his career. I mean, but Brett in the early 90s when I was the third person on the PC seeing him. I mean, that was, that's the best player ever, that I've ever been around to ever covered. Zach was the most fascinating. I mean, that's, uh, there's, there's no question. I mean, that's head and shoulders above everyone else. Um, the question I used to get a lot, is Mike Sweeney really that nice? Is he really that person or is it a fake? And what I would always have to tell people, is, if it's an act, it's a great act because I've never seen it crack. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I, I think he is that person. He is that, if you want to say nice or whatever, whatever word you want to use for that. I mean, that, he's that guy. I mean, I don't
0: think it, think it was an act. Yeah. Um, he's not a red light guy, uh, that, as they say, you know, you know, the... Yes, that's a great way to put that. It, right. That, he, he is not that guy. That's He
1: would be the same that, it, I mean, and these are small things, and and, you, and we've all had them with different players. But he would, you know, if we were in restaurants, and, and you, it would usually happened in spring training because there just weren't that many restaurants and surprise, and there aren't still aren't that many, but there's a few more than there were in the beginning. If I was having you know dinner with with Lynn or or, or, or friends or something, and he was at another table, I always when, when I'm out there and I see players, I'll nod to him, just like hey, uh, hi. But uh, that's a private time. But Mike would always get up and come over and, and introduce, you know you know say hi and make big and make a big deal out of everything and that's and that was a rare thing i you know, i had some other players who do that but mike would do that always i mean and that's the type of person he is I mean, he's like i said if it's an act i never saw it i never saw it slip um there are all sorts of personal favorites raul bonnet is, is is a guy that, the type of guy you want your son to grow up to be um Raul was you know very bright, played the game hard. And you know, earlier we were talking about Carlos Beltran and, you know, and how it didn't look like he was playing hard. Raul looked like he was playing hard every time. I mean that's uh, Raul wasn't f- faster on the bases, but you knew you were getting everything <laughs> that he had. Uh, but, but but very smart and, and and as a reporter, if you were talking about an issue or a teammate, he was your go-to guy because he would be you know very introspective and helpful, complete sentences, you know, a full thought. He was just a terrible interview if you were talking about him, and then you had to get get some help elsewhere. Brian Anderson was a personal favorite. He wasn't there very long, but BA, uh, he's been a broadcaster now with the Rays. Uh, you know, could tell it was a great story storyteller. But I mean, he's and, and he loved. He's a He 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 was a fan. I mean, he of all sports, he, you know, so he read everything. And that's the, uh, he's the guy who came up to me. Uh, Is this the, 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 the cutoff off story. Stuff. Well, there's, that's what, that's, that's what I'm going to get to, but there are several others. But yeah, then the cutoff story. And, uh, but they lost the game in San Diego when, uh, Matt Stairs hit Ken Harvey in the back on the throw home. And, and Ken Harvey gets all the blame for that. And look, that can't happen, but Ken Harvey, that was a winning run or, or go ahead run in the bottom of the game. He wasn't going to cut the throw. But he, so he got down and turned to watch the play at the plate. Matt Stairs drilled him in the back and the, the winning run squ- or the winning run score squ- is Kerry Robinson by the way who had his own Royals moment a year later when he jumped for the ball on the warning track or at the fence and the ball hit the warning track and hopped over um, but <laughs> B.A. is the one who comes up to me <laughs> afterwards <laughs> and that team was awful <laughs> dude dude you got you got it right that we lost because we hit the cutoff man <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and yeah at B.A. Uh, he, he's the guy who you he said he's working out someplace. He, you know, late hours at a fitness place. And he said he had a great workout. He goes up. You know, he goes up to the woman at the desk after he goes. What's your hours? Because I'd really like to come back. To you. She goes, Sir, we're we're twenty four hour fitness. <laughs> 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 and he goes, Here's PA. Yeah. He goes, I hey, do, dude, dude. Here's the best part. I'm a member. <laughs> Doug does it to things over twenty five. I mean, yeah, BA was one of my favorites. Yeah, and BA would actually tell tell you stuff. I mean, that's he's uh, the he told me he was retiring, but when he hadn't told anyone else. Um, you know, I've had enough on the car. But yeah, so But if you cover in a game, and, and, you, and you, I'm sure you're building some of these numbers too. I mean, that's, uh, it, it, it takes time. But and, and a lot of times, these things come out of nowhere. It, it, it's it's when you least expect them that they that they occur. So.
0: It, yeah. How about your uh the managers that you covered with the Royals? Were they um you had uh your first couple years I guess was um um uh, Tony Muser? Or were you there for Boone as well? Well Tony
1: Muser I mean, yeah, well I was there I was there throughout the nineties, so I was there with Hal. Yeah. I was, I was, you know, but but, but full time yeah, I had Tony Muser Mus- Tony Muser wanted to kill me a lot because he he, he, he one he was an ex Marine and it's a but and those were awful teams and I had to ask questions that he didn't want to answer and then, yeah, he's yeah, but, good, but it, always, but it was, in a professional sense and and I always thought when, when, when they get mad and swear at you, then then you're getting the real person. I mean, if they are if you get the, you know, the red light version of the guy where everything's smooth and then, then, then you're not getting the real guy but, uh, but I always wanted to see what type of manager Tony Bueser would be if he had a good team. I, I think he would have actually been a good manager. Uh, He did not have good. Well, he had terrible pitching staff, but hitters under Tony, hitters got better. And he was—he had been a hitting coach. I mean, I mean, all—all those guys that we talked about earlier, they—they got better while Tony was the manager. He just—he just had nothing in the bullpen. Uh, Then I had Tony Pena, who had all the miracles for 2003 and for five months, and then it just didn't work. And um, but. Yeah. I, 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 so I, I thought Tony would get another job. I thought being with the Yankees and some of their success was basically rehabilitating, and he got another look someplace. And it just hasn't happened. Uh, buddy, Buddy was fun to be around. Um, and Ned, here's the, here's the story. Uh, two two quick Ned stories. Uh, Foxworthy, I assume, still comes around a lot. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Well, no, somewhat, okay, sometimes. Sometimes, you know, but yeah, they're still good friends. Uh,
1: okay, I mean, they're neighbors, and you know and farms or ranchers, whatever he's calling it this day, he seems to use both terms and gets mad at you, whatever term you use, good correction. Um, but they're neighbors in, in Georgia. And Foxworthy, I remember talking to him once, and he told me that Ned was the funniest guy he ever been around. And I thought that was Foxworthy making a joke. <laughs> I just fucked laughing. He goes, no, and he turns serious. No, I'm serious. Ned is the funniest guy I've ever been around. And since they've won, I think even, and you've been around him enough, you see signs of that. Now, he still holds the reins close most of the time, but it's, 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 it's Ned is a funny guy. And, and uh, then it's, 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 I think he's a fascinating guy to be, you know, to be around. And, and uh, but you know, you've got your own opinions on him, but okay. I, he's, I, I, I looked at him differently then. And, uh, uh, after Foxworthy, and I could see where he was funny. And, 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 and those sessions, I assume they still have them, where you go, you, where you get Ned privately, or, or with, uh, I guess, with Flanny beforehand. Yep. Yep. He's much more open then than he is when the when the red light's on.
0: So, uh, he'll yell at you then. Certainly, I, I think it's, um, you know, we sort of the the outward exterior that a lot of people see, uh, which comes across maybe sometimes as a little bit of stubbornness or just essentially as a sort of a sarcastic kind of pose that he just likes to. To hold in public and, and I think that like a lot of it is actually more humorous than people maybe realize if that makes any sense you know what yeah. I mean like yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's old school in that sense where they I think it, like he's sort of like Houston I think he's sort of sometimes each other yes yeah, so, I think he's sort of in on the in on the the joke sometimes um hmm? more than more than people right. maybe realize in print or even if they just hear it you know on the radio or see the you know the, yeah, the, yeah. the 30 yeah, seconds you, you gotta of, be around it yeah
1: I know I've told you this, but, uh, but other people there, uh, Ned was the one person all those times, you know, through, through all of that, when everyone was starting, I, I even heard doubts from Dayton. And everything. I don't. Know, I think this is going to work. I mean, you know, you talk about the process. I mean, I think we're doing it the right way and so forth. The only person who I never heard slip was Ned. Ned always insisted that it's going to work, It this team is going to win, and when it turns, it's going to turn quickly, and it's going to turn big, and we're going to be good for a while. And the story about this, and I think you've written about this, and I know you and I have talked about it, uh, goes back to, I want to say, 2000, early 2013, and he's in a meeting in his office. And there are four people there, and I heard this story from two of them, so I know it's true, or at least I believe it's true. So i got two sources, two of the four. Uh, Ned, Dayton, uh, David Glass, and Dan Glass. And, And David Glass gets a bad rap, too. David Glass wants to win. I mean, he's... You can argue whether he put the proper resources in it or not, but very competitive guy. This is a guy who rose through the ranks at Walmart to become the CEO. I mean he he wasn't part of the family. So I mean this is this is a very competitive guy. And and he was t- sitting there talking this how watching this team lose night after night, just killing him and he gets going on and on and on about it. And the other three just sitting there and finally David pauses and <laughs> and just looks at him and says and, and anyway and david, david said i just can't watch anymore I mean, it's killing me. and he pauses and then looks at him and goes, then don't watch but we're going to be good this is going to turn around and as david said i remember telling me that he thought i he didn't know whether David was going to get fired at that moment or not because i mean he basically corrected the owner <laughs> and david to his credit just started laughing and nodding and that and then that broke the mood and everything but uh, I never heard Ned slip. Ned always believed that team was going to turn around. There was never any doubt in his mind. And he of all those people there, he was the only one I could say that about.
0: Yep. There's a similar story in Milwaukee where um I for slipping on the name of the owners in Milwaukee, but Ned said that the owner came down and and asked him, you know, how long did he have to watch JJ J. Hardy bat under 200 um and Ned said you're gonna to have to watch him bat under 200 every day because he's he's gonna be in the lineup every day. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, that's pure net. Yeah, yeah
1: that, and that he believes in guys. And look, I know he said once I've never been wrong. Well, on something I believe this strongly, and I think he was talking about Moustakas when he said that. In Kansas City. That was uh, that was uh, right around the time he talked about the third base trade. Um, but only he turned out to be right. He said Escobar was gonna get it. He was right. He said Moustakas. He said. There's too much there. I, I, I see too much. I know he's struggling now, but he's going to get it. He, and, and those players responded to him. I can still remember there was a time in spring training and, and you know, when he would walk, you know, they're throwing the ball around and everything before the, the workouts actually start and, you know, before stretching and everything. And he, and I saw him once go out there and just, and just go, hey, and sort of, you know, flip with his fingers to all gather around. Every, all chatter stopped. Not another ball was thrown. A lot of times, you know, like in basketball, someone will take one last shot or anything. It was never, there's nothing like that. Everything stopped. Everyone came to it, and that, and that's one of those little moments that if you're not around, you don't see it. But that was his team. I mean, that's what that told me. That, look, these guys believe in him. I mean, that's uh, it was like the time when he came back to work the day after having his um, uh, gallbladder taken out. You know, he, he left practice early like at two o'clock one day, and was back the next morning. And uh, and Mustafa's was the one that said, how, how do you not go out there and play for that guy? Now, how do you go tell him that you're hurting when this guy just had his gallbladder torn out and, in fact, you're working the next day? There was there, there was I think Ned was a big part of those teams. And I, don't th- I don't think he gets credit for that. And something else is, and, you know, while we're talking, I, I, as much as Kansas City fans appreciate that team, I still, still think even now they don't appreciate how difficult what they pulled off was and how, how special it was. Since the 94 strike, no team, no team that you would call a small market team has won the World Series. Very few have gotten to the World Series. People sometimes say the Marlins, but the Marlins, you know, you know, really tanked up, put a lot of money in it, and then tore it down afterwards. No real small market team has gotten – I mean, the Rays got to the World Series, but no team – and the Indians got there last year. No small market team has won the World Series except the Royals. That's – And I know people are disappointed that they didn't win another one or didn't get back there, but what they did was remarkable. and It's it's really special, and I think it'll be special for a long time, and I think it will become more special as we get years away from it and people look back, and and I think we'll appreciate it more.
0: Yeah. I often wonder, you know, the Cubs winning last year for the first time in 108 years, and obviously there's a whole lot of baggage there, but I I do kind of wonder... If you're grading on what was more difficult, you know, was it was it more difficult for Theo Epstein to win a World Series in Chicago after the the drought that they had had with the resources and the way he did it? I mean, obviously they did it the right way. Was it is that a more difficult job, or where the Royals were in the mid 2000s to to win a World Series in Kansas City? Um, I I almost feel like the latter. You know, the the job in Kansas City is is. I know that sounds crazy because the Cubs' history is what it is. No, it is, does sound
1: crazy. You're, you're,
0: you're absolutely right. So, um, I, I, I... I think that's like... like. Go ahead. Well, I just... I mean, the the Cubs' history is what it is, but I, I just feel like the, the accomplishment of, of winning a World Series in Kansas City compared to where the franchise was um, is, you know, one of the more remarkable achievements in baseball of the last, you know, 20 to 25 years. I, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's like... There have been people,
1: uh, if someone came in now, and Nebraska's been down for a few years, and took Nebraska to the national title in college football. Look, okay, that's that's not quite the Cubs, because I mean, but, but it's the type of thing, look, the resources are there, they've been down, and it's taken them to the top. It's a very difficult achievement. I mean, Or, or, what, or you know, what Urban Meyer did at Ohio State, they were down some, and he, he took them to the national title. Or, or Saban at Alabama, they were down some or what Bill Snyder did at Kansas State. Bill Snyder hasn't won a national title, but he's gotten, he's won conference titles. There's no question of what Bill Snyder's done. his Bill Snyder, Bill Snyder's done the most remarkable thing I've seen in, in, in sports, period, in, in my time. It's, uh, what the Royals did is easily, I think, the t- toughest thing in, in baseball. I mean, that's, uh, and I don't know how they're going to do it again. Justin. I, don't, I, don't, I don't see what, where the path is. I mean, uh, they built this team, by overdrafting, you know, you know, paying Will Myers third round money or first round money in the third round, signing a bunch of people in the, the Caribbean and so forth. I don't see the path. I mean, that's uh, with the international bonus pools and the draft bonus pools, you, you don't have that. And that's, uh, it, it makes it much more difficult for the Royals or any other small market team, smaller market team to, uh, to win it all.
0: Yeah, well, I I think you're right. So I'd, it'll be interesting to see what the team looks like over the next year to two to three, and what what sort of path they take heading into this off season. So Bob, may, Bob, maybe it's fitting that we end on a pessimistic note, <laughs> given, <laughs> given 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 your tenure at the Star and, and the years you cover the team. Maybe we should just go ahead and wrap up now, as we we think about where they're headed now over the next you know four to five years as well.
1: All right, well, they still got the flag out there, though. They've added another another flagpole out there, though, in the last couple of years. I mean, yeah, I don't know if they'll go another thirty years.
0: Yeah, they. I mean, the, it's, it's a. The flag is flying it's above. It's a challenge. Yeah, flag is above Kauffman Stadium. They've got two pennants out there, and it's probably enough to to tide fans over for at least a few years. Although I can, I can see it turning pretty quickly if this if it if the Team struggles, but we will we'll see how they do. I I think it's going to be a fascinating group um, to to kind of see what path they take. As I said, uh, this off season to the next. So you can obviously follow the coverage in the Star and at com and all the places that uh, you can find our content. And obviously here at Sports Beat K C. Um, Bob, thank you so much for for doing this and taking almost a full hour of your time and chatting about uh the Royals and your career and as I said at the beginning, I know you uh don't want to hear this, but uh congratulations on uh your retirement and uh your obviously your influence uh is still prevalent at the at the star, whether it's Therese Paler or uh Sam Mellinger or a host of other uh, people that uh, learned a lot from you while you were here so thank you thank you again for taking the time
1: that's very kind to say
0: thank you Russell. okay Bob appreciate it and we will um, um, wrap up here and we'll uh, hopefully have a couple more episodes uh, regarding the Royals offseason and where they're going and uh, so hopefully um, we'll, we'll be back soon but thank you for listening and um, um, until next time this has been Russell Dodd of the Kansas City Star Thank you.